Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today we're going to be talking about whether or not it was immoral to drop the bombs on Japan, um, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, Now, before we begin, a few words. One is, I want you to come to this podcast with an open mind. A lot of people believe that, that one side is absolutely true and that anybody on the other side is an idiot. I don't think so. I don't think that there are uh, that everybody on the other side is irrational or immoral. Um, I think that there are good reasons uh, for either position. You may be scoffing already, but don't. Um, maybe you have a straw man that um, that you're beating up, and you don't really know the other side. I think that's entirely possible. So I haven't fully made up my mind on this. Um, thus, you get to hear my internal dialogue to an extent. Um, it's quite appropriate that this is me versus me because, well, that's the position I'm really in. Um, let's see, I, I took some of these objections from a variety of different articles here and there. I don't think that there's anything uh, terribly unique in the stuff that I, I deal with. Um, I try to represent what would be mostly the ordinary arguments. Um, then I throw some of my unique ones in there, which I think you'll find interesting and hopefully even enlightening. Let's see. Um, the sound quality, as you may have noticed, isn't quite up to snuff for this episode. It's a little bit lower than normal. Um, that's because I normally record in a pillow fort. And I, I'm not kidding. Um, I take all the pillows from my couch and I surround my recording studio, better known as my iPad. And uh, that definitely muffles things and works pretty well. But today I have to see my laptop, so we have only maybe half a pillow fort. So I apologize for a lack in sound quality. All right. Well, let's begin. We're going to start out with the opening statement from each side. The first opening statement is the one that says that it is immoral to have dropped the bomb. Um, and that means that the although the first word goes to this side, the last word will be the side that says that it was not immoral to have dropped the bomb. Okay. An action is wrong if it has one of the following characteristics, an immoral means, an immoral end, or an immoral intention. Dropping the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki had each one of these deficiencies. The means was the wholesale destruction of a city in which men, women, and children lived, worked, played, and worshipped. The means was the obliteration of innocent non-combatants. This ought to be the end of the debate. Such a means, regardless of the end, is wrong, full stop. An analogous case would be to abortion. This, too, is the taking of an innocent human life. It does not matter what the end would be or what the intention of abortion would be. It is intrinsically evil, and so is the vaporization of a city. My vicious and depraved opponent will seek to count costs and make a utilitarian argument. This is morally bankrupt from the onset. As Christians, in the absence of a morally good, or at very least a morally neutral course of action, we choose suffering and even martyrdom instead of mortal sin. We allow God to set the course of human events. We are not God. Choosing the slaughter of innocent people is not courage, it's cowardice. Choosing to drop the bomb is obviously evil, and I doubt any person's moral integrity if they think otherwise. Next, the bomb had an immoral end. It was an action that is a clear terminus, the leveling of innocent cities. To place it in a larger context or to spin this as double effect, like in the case of self-defense, 
Well, that's just dishonest. This was one clear action, the nuking of a city. So my opponent may try to say this is the context of a war, da 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 da. No, this is one action with a clear end. The end was realized when the city was vaporized. Lastly, dropping the bomb had an immoral intention. It is claimed that it was to end the war. But actually, American propaganda at the time depicted the Japanese people as evil by nature. In our historic anti-Asian bias, going all the way back to railroad times, along with the re stubborn refusal to grant Asian citizenships for a huge majority of our nation, and the caps and quotas that, that limited these particular immigrants from reaching our shores are all examples. And did I forget the Japanese internment? There was an anti-Japanese hatred that motivated these bombing. It wasn't just simp simply a cool, calculated decision in order to how best to end the war. We got into the war because of Pearl Harbor, and that ginned up a hatred, a just an, an understandable hatred, but nevertheless an, a hatred for another people, and it was out of hatred that we dropped the bomb. Therefore, it cannot be a moral action if it had an immoral intention, which it did. So all these point to a vindictive, vengeful, and racial motive for the bomb dropping, and not one of peace. Also, how on earth can an act, an act be anything other than morally wrong if it breaks the second greatest commandment, which of course is to love thy neighbor as thyself? My vicious and snarling opponent will have the nigh-on-to-impossible task of not only proving the bomb was a moral means, that the destruction of the city was a moral end, and that it had a moral intention, but most ridiculously of all, that it was an act whereby we loved our neighbor. And now we move on to the other side and their opening statement. Here is what I could concede in this debate and still win. I could say that dropping the bomb was morally wrong. Are you shocked? Confused? How could I say this? Didn't I just lose the debate? Well, not so fast. Take the case of a supervillain who captures you and places your hand between two buttons, one on the top of your hand, the other on the bottom. He sets the building on fire and you must escape. However, when you slide your hand from its place, you must thereby depress either the top or bottom button. Staying and burning to death will cause the system to randomly connect the circuits of one, maybe even both, of the buttons. You learn that from the villain's evil monologue that if either button is depressed, a Japanese restaurant staff is executed. You choose to exit the building, and you choose to lift your hand out, thereby depressing the top button and directly and intentionally taking the lives of these innocent people. Question. Is pushing either button wrong? Well, yes, of course. It represents intentionally killing innocent people. Next question. Who is guilty of this evil act? I would argue that it is obviously the supervillain. You are just another victim. It was the villain who created this scenario. You are guilty of no sin. If not for the supervillain, you would have carried on as a peaceful person. But what about the case of the U.S. and Japan? Well, Japan gave us a choice, either island hopping and losing massive amounts of U.S. and Japanese lives, or dropping the bomb. 
If it was not for evil imperialist Japan, this choice would not exist. We, are not just, we cannot just sit still in this proverbial room. The room was on fire. And just ignoring this situation would, have, would not have meant peace, but continued violence against us and Japan's neighbors. Two more examples, in case you didn't like the supervillain example or think it's maybe too contrived. Question, is it always wrong to kill an innocent child? Well, duh, yes, of course. We all agree it's always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent child, obviously. But wait, what about when defense forces must protect an African village from brainwashed child soldiers? Is it wrong to shoot that innocent child? Well, I would argue, yes, it is. But wait, is it the right thing to do? Well, also, yes. Does that mean that we are claiming that we ought to do evil things so that good may come? No. Were you not paying attention? The evil act of killing the child was done by the evil people who brainwashed a child and sent them into combat. The soldier defending the village is the means of the child's death but not the cause, and certainly not the morally culpable cause. And let me give a, a final example. It's called suicide by cop. There are people who want to kill themselves, and they use a police officer as the means to this end. In this particular situation, the cop is the means of death of this innocent human being. Yet, can you not see that the cop is actually innocent? Can't you see that the cop is actually also a victim here? In fact, it was the person who killed themselves, even if they used a police officer as the means. So my claim is that it was an evil act to have those bombs destroy all those people, the cities, sure. But the moral culpability, the cause of this happening, the morally culpable cause is not the United States. We were only the means of this. It was Imperial Japan, their refusal to surrender, their, their violence from the beginning, their creating of multiple wars, their surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. All of these mean that they are the morally relevant reason for this happening. So was it wrong to drop the bombs? Yes. And that was Japan's um, moral failing. Now we move on to the rebuttal. Um, again, since we, have, uh, we are alternating sides, so we're going to rebut first the first opening statement. What is my opponent's actual standard in war? Conventional bombing has the unintentional consequence of killing innocents. Can we not bomb at all? Furthermore, these are in draft situations. On both sides of the war, innocent people are forced to the front lines. Would shooting them be the direct and intentional killing of an innocent life? Certainly seems so. Can the two sides not shoot each other in war? Clearly, my opponent has a childish and simplistic worldview that doesn't take into account the real world like mine does. My understanding makes sense of the situation like shooting people who are drafted. My opponent's does not. I.e., the guilt is on the evil party that caused the draft to occur. And in both cases, that is Japan. They caused their own draft, but they also caused ours. Therefore, the killing of these innocent people on either side who were pressured into the conflict is the fault of Japan. So, 
What about this means that my opponent is yattering on about? Is he not aware that prior to the bombs, pamphlets were dropped and there were radio addresses in warning? It was the Japanese who made it punishable by death to read or distribute these pamphlets which would have protected people from the bomb. This means that for yet another reason, the blood is on the hands of the Japanese who didn't even want their citizens to be warned. Objection. And this, of course, is coming from the, um, the side that says it was immoral. We have, we have interrupted, but I think for good reason. The plane switched targets from Korokoa to Nagasaki because of bad weather. Therefore, Nagasaki was not warned, and the leaflets were not even well-intentioned, as you claim, as if this was some kind warning. This is obvious psychological warfare. So no, one of those cities, surely not warned, and any city that was warned, this was, this was not the intention of those pamphlets to begin with, just to gin up fear. Back to the original rebuttal. If the pamphlets were not well-intentioned, um, then intention could make the dropping of them an evil act. So it, we could concede, again, that maybe if this was psychological warfare to drip, drum up fear, whatever, if this was a bad intention for dropping the pamphlets, sure, that's a different debate, whatever, maybe you could say that the pamphlets were evil. However, if they were warned in any way, regardless of the motiva motivation, the fact still stands that I have said that these people were warned. As for the diversion to Nagasaki, many cities were warned and Japan was warned as a whole, and Japan could have warned each city. But again, it was stifling this with the death penalty to prevent people from knowing that the U.S. would bomb them. So yes, there is a debate whether or not Nagasaki was warned in time. But even if they were not, Japan as a whole was, and it was the failure of the Japanese government to keep their, to, uh, in not keeping their people safe. Let me just give one more example here. Um, if a cop tells an attempted murder suspect to freeze and points a gun at him, who would be guilty for the death of the suspect if the suspect decided to rush at the cop or reach for a weapon or even run? It's true that the death penalty does not apply to disobeying a police officer or even to just attempted murder. Still, the cop's warning means that injury or death on the part of the subject, a, a part of the suspect, becomes his voluntary self-harm in light of the stated declaration of this just authority, the police officer, who has encountered him, i.e. when the cop says, freeze or I will shoot, because he is a just authority here who is trying to maintain the peace, yes, using the force which is necessary, not obeying the commands of that police officer and instead fleeing, charging, reaching for a weapon means that you are liable for your own getting shot. So Japan is liable for its own getting bombed because we said surrender or freeze. We then pointed our gun at them and said, hey, we have bombs. We have a military that will stop you. So stop what you're doing. You need to surrender. Give up. And then the Japanese continued to rush us, island to island. They continued to defy us. And we then executed our threat. 
That is not the fault of us. That is the fault of the Japanese in the same way that if a cop uses force against a suspect, that is not the fault of the cop. It's the fault of the suspect because the goal of the cop and the goal of the U.S. was to bring about peace and theirs was to continue their violence. Now, due to the intrusion of my interlocutor interrupting my debate period, I request a warning letter, the warning letter that was sent to the Japanese, be read. And I, of course, being the third person here, am also the, uh, the moderator, and I will grant this. So let me read two leaflets. One is called the LeMay leaflet. The other is called the uh, Hiroshima leaflet. Uh, LeMay is, is first. <clears throat> Read this carefully as it may save your life or the life of a relative or friend. In the next few days, some or all of the cities named on the reverse side of this pamphlet will be destroyed by American bombs. These cities contain military installations and workshops or factories which produce military goods. We are determined to destroy all the tools of the military clique which are, I don't even know what that says. Anyways, which are, are using to uh, prolong this useless war. But unfortunately, bombs have no eyes. So in accordance with America's humanitarian policies, the American Air Force, which does not wish to injure innocent people, now gives you warning to evacuate the cities named and save your lives. America is not fighting the Japanese people, but is fighting the military, which has enslaved the Japanese people. The peace which America will bring will free the people from the oppression of the military and, and mean the emergence of a new and better Japan. You can restore peace by demanding new and good leaders who will end the war. We cannot promise that only these cities will be among those attacked, but some or all of them. So heed this warning and evacuate these cities immediately. All right, here's the, the next pamphlet. To the Japanese people. This was dropped on Hiroshima. America asks you to immediately take heed of what we say in this pamphlet. We are in possession of the most destructive explosive ever devised by man. A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually equivalent to the explosive power of 2,000 of our giant B-29s, uh, uh, of what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. The awful fact is, um, is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you it is grimly accurate. We have just begun to use this weapon against your homeland. If you have any doubt, make inquiry <clears throat> as to what happened to Hiroshima when just one atomic bomb actually fell on that city. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Before using this bomb to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, we ask that you now petition the emperor to end the war. Our president has outlined for you the 13 consequences of an honorable surrender. We urge that you accept these consequences and begin the work of building a new, better, and peace-loving Japan. You should take steps now to cease military resistance. Otherwise, we shall resolutely employ this bomb and all other superior weapons to promptly and forcefully end the war. It goes on, evacuate your cities. Attention, Japanese, evacuate your cities. Because your military leaders have rejected the 13-part surrender declaration, two momentous events have occurred in the last few days. Um, and it, it goes on to 
Yes, warn you. But we need to get back to the debate. Um, you guys can look up those leaflets um, by yourself. All right, so we have indeed read this, so we continue on with the rebuttal. All right. Although I could concede much ground, as I said earlier in my opening statement, and still win this debate, I will press my points. First, the U.S. attempt, uh, attempt at warning the Japanese shows, and the letter that was just read, indicates that the intention was not to kill innocent people. Even if the warning could have been better or more thorough or whatever, its presence shows the existence of a large warning campaign that is inconsistent with the charge of brutal cruelty and intentional slaughter. If the Japanese had surrendered, as it had the moral obligation to do, all of this death would have been avoided. Therefore, again, as I have stated, because they did not surrender when they had that moral obligation, the blood is on their hands. The end was not racism or, or bias or prejudice, etc. It was peace. Peace was what we had prior to the Japanese attack, meaning that from the beginning, our posture vis-a-vis -vis Japan was one of peace. That is, until we were attacked. My opponent claimed that I would make a utilitarian argument where evil ends are justified. Look how he knows nothing of the opposite side. He made a straw man, and he attacked it. Finally, in war, loving your neighbor is not in its normal setting, and the enemy can, um, can make acts of love nonetheless appear quite violent. We defended our people and the nations surrounding Japan that Japan was brutalizing out of selfless love for our neighbor. We ended the war, we demanded unconditional surrender, and we deposed the emperor and freed a people who can now live in peace. And we did this at great cost. Again, what is my opponent's standard of love in the context of war? Would he oppose shooting at the enemy? Because this is certainly not loving. Surely there is such thing as just war and war not opposed to the exercise of love. So yes, violence is sometimes loving in the context of destroying a threatening enemy and protecting others. Here, we were fighting evil because we love good. Now, we switch to the other rebuttal, and these get a little bit, um, little bit shorter. Okay. You bring up just war, but have you forgotten the principle of proportional response? Shooting back is fine because it's a proportional response. That's my standard. Nuking whole cities? That is not a proportional response. Therefore, it violates just war. Also, if you concede that Nagasaki was not warned in time, then how could it be anything less than immoral? You need to explain this in further sections, because right now, that makes no sense. Yes, it can be loving to attack the evil opponent, but my whole point is that the, ev is that the innocent people in those cities were not evil and that they ought not have been destroyed. So you're conflating uh, military targets with innocent civilian targets. As for the draft, there is a relation to the nation that is derivative of the commandment to honor thy father and the mother. You have patriotic obligations to your nation regardless of your consent. Therefore, um, 
anybody who is of fighting age is de facto part of the fighting ability of a single nation. So opposing these people is opposing the fighting force of the nation, which, if the nations are at war, are indeed valid. However, targeting a group which includes women, children, or those not fit for combat, like the sick or the elderly, that is not an action of a war. Instead, that's the slaughter of a group of innocents. And when you nuke a city, that's exactly what you have done. Next, your examples like the buttons and the supervillain, that is just a that is just a, a contrived scenario, and I would argue that it's contrary to the claim of scripture that clearly says that we will never be in a situation we are forced to sin. Scripture says that there is always a way out. So it's not my worldview which is simplistic, it's yours which fails to accept scripture and is therefore false. Alright. Moving on to the rebuttal of the rebuttal, or wherever we are in this argument. It's tough when there's only one voice, I know. Blowing up a city that should have been evacuated would be proportional. Yes, Nagasaki ought to have been warned more if it was not. Nevertheless, Japan still happened an obligation to evacuate it since Japan as a whole was warned, and it was the cause of the conflict to begin with. So it's Japan's fault that there were people still in the city. They applied the death penalty to anybody who read or distributed these pamphlets. That means the blood is on their hands. So if it was, as we had planned, an empty city with, as the pamphlet said, the capacity to build military weapons and had other strategically important targets, then yes, it is totally proportioned to blow up such a city that should have been unoccupied so that we can then end the war. Again, we were attacked and we had been fighting a war that we did not need to be fighting. It, it, there was no reason for us to, to have been fighting Japan except for their aggression to us. So this was a defensive war on our part. Um, so yes, sure, that was proportional. Next, collateral damage is unavoidable in a time of war. We can only use uh, the weapons that we have at that time um, and that is reasonable. We can't expect to have used smart bombs in a time that they did not exist. The pamphlet itself says that the nukes don't have eyes. So I fall back on my argument that the Japanese caused the bombs to fall. We did not. We were the means. They were the cause. Also, it is loving to limit the death toll. So this is the only point where I'm going to be so-called appealing to a utilitarian argument, which so far I have not. There is good reason to believe that we were, in fact, ending the war quickly, and there is indication from that time that those in power believed that by dropping the bombs, we would be saving innocent lives, not just destroying them for some vindictive reason. Next, what you said about the draft doesn't have anything to do with my points. My point was that somebody who was drafted was an innocent person, forced into combat. That point stands. Sure, they could have a responsibility to fight for their nation. Yeah, whatever. But nevertheless, they are innocent and they are forced into combat and they are people who you may need to kill. So you need to have a moral system that can grapple with those difficult situations. Currently, you just have a full stop about whenever you were faced with an option whereby you would have to kill an innocent human life. 
I have an understanding which puts the blame on the person who caused the situation. And I make a distinction between the means of the death and the cause of the death. So when an innocent Japanese kid of 17 comes charging over the hill and you shoot them because you are part of an American military force in a conflict, a just war against Japan, then you are not guilty of killing an innocent human life. The Japanese are guilty for sending that person into the uh, fire of the American military. Next, there is a way out of each one of those scenarios which does include sin. You have not ever dealt with my points about the distinction between the cause and the means because in the case that I just laid out or in the case of the bomb, and certainly we can provide other examples, for instance, of police actions, um, the, the there is a way of no sin and that is um, you, you simply take the, the path of greatest love. And that's what the soldier would be doing if he was defending the place which he was told to defend, even if that 16-year-old, 17-year-old Japanese kid who is innocent and forced by his nation comes over the hill to take it. He can shoot that person, and that is not a sin. That is a way out. He is obeying the military which sent him to defend that area, which is, as your point was, Honoring your father and mother, that's an extension of that law because patriotism is derivative of that commandment and being drafted into the military means that you're expected to be somebody under authority. Scripture even talks about that. So, um, yeah, that's the way out. The way out is fulfilling your role to the best of your ability. And um, no, there's no sin there, none. And anybody listening to this who thinks there is needs to rethink that because you're saying that, for instance, um, in Iraq and Afghanistan, where soldiers have had to do very hard things, like return fire on 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 kids who are forced into to the military by Taliban and stuff. Listen, you're not guilty for that. The Taliban is. And if you want to paint me as the moral monster, I would suggest that you are the moral monster for making American heroes into into murderers. Well, that's clearly not the case. The blood's not on their hands, and you have not dealt with my point here, which again is the core of my argument. <clears throat> Whew, coffee went down wrong there. All right, now we're going to sum it up and we're going to hit a few other points that I didn't really um, get to wiggle into this debate. I hope that if you listened to that, you didn't feel like I was sandbagging either side. Um, I did do my best to, um, to, to, to present arguments in a persuasive, powerful way. Um, uh, so let, let's try to kind of sum up a bit. Um, as you see, much of this debate does depend on historical details, and I'm not a historian. Maybe you are. Email me if you are knowledgeable about this question, of course, at thegordiannot101 at gmail.com. So if the Japanese were substantially warned and the intention of the U.S. was to end the war, save lives, limit casualties, deter threats, and protect other ins uh, innocence by means of a weapon that is not in principle different than a series of conventional bombs. Would you change your mind on this question? Could you see how it could have been morally defensible, um, especially since the guilt lies on the aggressive opponent and not on the peaceful nation who used prudential judgment waging war with the weapons of the time? Alternatively, what if this warning was not sufficient? If I warn you that I'm going to bomb your house, would that exempt me from the guilt of it? But what about in the case of war? Certainly that's a bit different. Can any innocent lives ever be intentionally taken? 
if in fact there is intention. And of course, we didn't argue about what the real intention of this. We can talk about the principle of, of double effect. And um, I skirted that one intentionally because I find that it's um, not terribly helpful. I've heard debates where this was the core of the debate. I, I just don't think they shed much light. Um, maybe I should have included that. Maybe I can come up with a way to um, elaborate that and I'll put it in a further episode. Uh, moving on, was Japan reasonable in defying us? Or did we ask too much with unconditional surrender? Were we just pushing them into a corner? Because that's possible too. Again, I tried not to focus too much on the historical details because, well, I'm not a historian. Um, and I think it's more important to know the principles than to know this particular case. So I tried to kind of argue on principle a little bit more. Nevertheless, if we want to settle this question, um, we, we would need to grapple with this um, other objection. Some people say that we were, we were pushing them too hard, saying we need unconditional surrender, etc., and that that was not reasonable for them to, um, to accept. Therefore, we are partially culpable for prolonging the war, and that could make us culpable for dropping the bombs, which were part of the prolonged war. Um, you can make up your mind about that one. Moving on. Um, I think it's important to note a real debate on this topic deserves much more time and energy that I put into it. Um, but I'm curious to know what you think. Do you think that one side was argued better? Um, do you think your opponent is a monster? Do you really think that they're monstrous, irrational, or immoral? Or do you think that there are um, points on either side? Um, I'm still deciding this debate in myself. Um, I, I don't think I've, I've completely um, surveyed all the historical facts which are pertinent to um, settling this issue. And currently, if, if I had to just um, plop down on one position or the other, I'm kind of leaning towards the bombing of Hiroshima was okay and Nagasaki was not. So interestingly, <laughs> if I had to judge the debate for myself, I would say that um, we're kind of splitting it. Um, only one of the bombs is okay. I, I, I think there's some other historical reasons for that that I didn't really get into in the course of this debate. Um, I want to hit a few other things which I, I didn't work in. Again, because, well, sometimes life comes up and you don't have as much um, time, energy, or, or whatever, or oomph to uh, get your podcast ready. But nevertheless, I want to hit a few. One is that um, it's been argued that the bomb should only have been used for defense. So we watched in the Cold War that we used it as deterrent and defense. And uh, that seemed to be quite effective. We didn't ever have to go into a hot war with nuclear weapons in the Soviet Union. So if we could have used um, the bomb in a defensive way like that, even maybe dropping a bomb off the coast to demonstrate the power of the weapon, then that would have been a very good alternative to actually using it on cities. Of course, our opponents might say that, um, well, Japan didn't surrender after the first bombing. It did take the second bomb to make them surrender. So dropping one in the ocean or just threatening, that's not going to do it. If a whole blown up city won't make you surrender, what's to think that a couple blown up fish would? I think that's a reasonable point. Um, the other thing that's often brought up is that dropping the bomb was contrary to international law. And we shouldn't be doing illegal things, um, therefore we shouldn't have dropped the bomb. But uh, here's the thing, there's definitely questions about um, sovereignty in general for, for a country, whether or not we're actually bound by an international law. 
So the only thing which makes us have to comply with this is that at an earlier time, we said we would. A different administration, I think at this point it was, this was something through the League of Nations, um, said that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, why can't we change our mind? Why can't a further administration uh, change its mind? Does one president um, or one Congress have the authority forever and always to bind America to one set of decisions? I could see if we did like a constitutional amendment, but we didn't. We just told a group of international people that we would abide by certain rules. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how we're, we're bound by them. I don't see international authorities um, existing that have any type of authority over the U.S., Maybe at some point some world empire will exist and such a thing would be true. Um, but today is not the day and neither was uh, back in World War II. Um, next, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the proportional response, whether or not this is proportional. This seems to be settled in a historical question. If, if it truly was the intention to blow up a evacuated city as much as that would have been able, then... I think even people who oppose dropping the bomb should agree that, yeah, blowing up an empty city with military manufacturing capacity, um, that's reasonable, right? So, so it's kind of circling back to what was um, one of the big points in the debate, the nature of the warning that the U.S. gave to Japan. Um, let's see. Also, some people say that we were dropping the bombs on the... Um, on those cities mostly to to scare the Soviet Union and that we wanted to flex our muscle and uh, show that show that we, we in a future conflict would be able to annihilate them and that this was less about Japan and that it was more about the Soviet Union well you know I, again this is a historical question that that's possible um, and a lot of the things which were brought up here about intention uh, I don't think we're entirely privy to. We, we don't know what the actual intentions of our leaders were. And even if we did, and even if all of their intentions were wrong, now we have more than one question. One is, um, was it wrong for them to drop the bomb, given their, let's say, evil intentions? And if you have evil intentions, then the act is evil. So we could say yes. But was it wrong to drop the bomb is actually a different question. Because... With correct intentions, which I think were totally possible in this situation, um, then so long as the, the means and the stated end um, were not immoral, um, yeah, if you have um, morally good intentions and you meet all those other conditions, then it can be a morally good action. So those are two questions. I want to point that out. What was our actual leadership's intention when they dropped the bombs? And also... Um, whether or not dropping the bombs per se um, was immoral. Okay, uh, next, you'll find a lot, a lot about, about unconditional um, surrender. And uh, I, I'm not terribly persuaded by this. I, I think that if you really look at, the, the, at uh, the historical details of what the Japanese did, uh, it was pretty vicious, pretty awful, and I think we wanted that government completely and utterly um, destroyed, taken down. The emperor deposed absolutely everybody um, out. The the fear that Imperial Japan could rise again and um, and 
and cause chaos in the world once more was a real fear. Um, so I think that we were right to ask for unconditional surrender. Um, there are a few points we may have pushed too far, but again, this is a prudential judgment. It's not the contention of people who say it was right to drop the bomb to say that every prudential judgment was like infallibly, perfectly um, defined. Uh, no, I don't think that's true. But could the atomic bomb being dropped, particularly on Hiroshima, um, given that there was warning, um, could that have been a a an okay means to bring about the end of the war? I think that's a more interesting uh, question in a way. Um, other things that have been brought up is that there were POWs, um, so American prisoners of war, which were held in some of those cities, and that nevertheless we blew them up. Well, this one kind of serves as a great example of what I've been kind of um, talking about through most of the debate. We, we told those cities to evacuate. We warned Japan about this. We did all this. So who killed those POWs? Well, Japan did. They put them in the path of a bomb. Like, good night. Isn't that obvious that they were the cause of, of that? Um, let's see. What other things we have here? Um, I, I, okay, we'll get into something we, we weren't really focusing on too much. The foreseeing the death of innocent lives is not the same as intending them. So this is one of the ideas behind um, the principle of double effect that many people say, listen, we foresaw that people who are innocent would not necessarily be able to get out of the cities, but we did not intend to kill them. Our intent was to end um, the, the, the war with Japan, that that was a good intention, and it was foreseen that there are these negative consequences. Um, I, I do think that that's a fair point, and that needs to be argued. Now, what I kind of suggest at when I argue the other side was that you're situating this whole event only in the context of your prefer preferred um, uh, situation, which was the war. However, why can't we view this as a discrete event where the end was to explode the city? So in that case, because we know what a city is, and that includes the presence of innocent people, and the end was to destroy it, then we can't really do the principle of double effect um, defense as effectively. And that's kind of why I didn't really center the debate around there, because I think that's a good move. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to sort that out. Maybe you do, of course, email me if you have um, great sage wisdom on this topic. I would like to hear it. Oh, and I know I said that I would like to get some hate mail, and this might finally do it. Um, and I'm happy to receive it, don't get me wrong, but I do ask that you, um, you actually deal with some of these arguments, you think through them, um, in other contexts where I've argued for, say, the death penalty, or I've argued that it's not always wrong to, say, lie to a Nazi, and in this one, um, man, I get a lot of hate and vitriol, it's ridiculous, and kind of show my cards here, I often find that in the course of a debate, if I find that one side is willing to reason with me and uh, take the view seriously, and the other side instantly just like play pretends that I'm some type of vicious monster and, you know, half of the responses are just about how I must be evil or vindictive, they just start imagining and telling me like as if I didn't, you know, know who I was. Oh my goodness, really? I'm a vindictive monster. Well, what do you know? 
I f typically find that the side that does the reasoning is usually right. And the side that just um, flips out with emotion and starts, you know, all the histrionics and stuff. Yeah, they're normally wrong. And in, in conversations here, when I argue that there is certainly a historical context, which is, you know, uh, possible, and uh, there are prudential uh, judgments which could allow for the dropping of the bomb on particularly Hiroshima, um, I typically hear just a, a lot of uh, just insults and hate on that position and not that much good reasoned argument. Um, again, I tried to assemble as much good reason argument on that side as I could. Um, I understand that side. Don't think they understand, um, me. <laughs> um, and again, I, I mean, I, I think I'm sounding more like, um, I'm pro dropping the bomb and maybe I am. Um, but I do think it's, it's somewhere in the middle here. I think it's, it's an unbelievably weighty decision to do something of that magnitude, um, boy, I would have to be pretty darn convinced I was doing the right course of action to have ordered that. Um, and again, I think we're open to saying that one of the uh, cities was um, bombed justly and one was not. And of course, a lot of this depends on historical knowledge, which um, would be difficult to ascertain and some of which uh, may be impossible to ever know. So we're kind of forced to talk about some of this theoretically. All right, um, let's see. Do we have anything else here? Do, 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 do. Nope, we're going to call it right there. I think we brought up a bunch. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, I thought it was a, a fun episode. Um, I wasn't entirely sure how to make it, um, I don't know, make sense since I only have one voice. Um, I didn't want to like make a ridiculous voice because it would, I'm sure, sound ridiculous. Uh, so let's see here. Not sure what next episode will be. We are excited for interview episodes coming hopefully this month. So I'm going to reach out to some of them and get a time scheduled. Um, so definitely look out for those. One series that I know is coming soon is a uh, three-part series on what's wrong with Marxism. So I believe it starts with what's wrong with Marxist philosophy. Then it goes to what's wrong with Marxist history. And then I was going to do one with what's wrong with Marxist um, economic thinking, but that was just, um, I, would, I would still be writing it. It would take literally forever to go through all of the things which were wrong. So instead, I dealt with what, what was a little bit more of a salient issue at, at the time, and I think still is, and that's um, economic inequality. So I took that as kind of a case study. So I'll kind of add that as my part three of, um, of uh, what's wrong with Marxism. And I think that's going to that's gonna dovetail really well with the upcoming um, interview with Noelle Maring. And that's about Awake, Not Woke. It's a recent book that she, she, um, she wrote. I'm reading it now, taking a few notes, getting ready for the interview. So I think you're definitely going to enjoy that one. Um, yes, well, we're going to skip the mailbag because, um, well, I'm just tired of thinking through different questions and answers, having just finished writing up that debate dialogue. So I will see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this, and if you have friends, and if you like sharing, share it with your friends. And if you didn't enjoy this, and I know that at least half of you did not enjoy this episode, because um, I'm sure it ruffled feathers, uh, not that I care, I'm happy to ruffle them, um, then share this episode with your enemies. See you next time.